The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. We'll continue our series from the book of Judges, and I'll be reading from Judges chapter 13. I believe it's page 180 in your pew Bibles, and I will read verses 1 through 5, and then skip down to verse 17 through the end of the chapter. I invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Judges chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then the angel of the Lord will reappear to the woman and also to Manoah, her husband. And then we jump down to verse 17. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat, together with a grain offering, and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. And let us pray. Father, we give thanks to you for your Word, and we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. Empower our attention spans, O Lord. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes away from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. And may we receive your word with meekness for the salvation of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, we have been studying through this book of Judges, and we have seen that this book is a living drama of our rebellion and God's rescue, of our sin and God's salvation, of our failures and God's faithfulness, of our weakness and God's strength, of our idolatrous affairs and God's intervening grace. And it's our story. We may not live it the same way as God's people Israel did, but it is our story nonetheless. And we live it today. And it all points us to the cross, to our great need for a great Savior. Every day and every cycle in this book is a reminder of our need for God's grace, for God's complete and final salvation. Now here in Judges chapter 13, we come to the last cycle Of the book to the last judge, and we have something very unusual. We have an Old Testament nativity story pointing us ahead to the Christmas nativity scene that is fresh in our minds. And while a lot could be said about this passage, tonight I want to focus on three things in the text the display of God's grace, God's glory, and God's gracious plan of salvation. We'll begin with, first of all, the display of God's grace. And we read in verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But this should not surprise us. We've seen it many times before. In fact, this is the seventh time in this book that we read those words. The cycle continues. God's people will sin. They will suffer servitude at the hands of their enemies. There will be a supplication. God will bring salvation. But each time, the sin gets worse. The people are more corrupt and more evil. It is a downward spiral into deeper sin. Here, in chapter 13, Israel has totally sold out to the values of the pagan world of the Philistines in which they live. And what's worse, they are content to stay there. You see, something is very different here. Something is missing in this cycle, the Samson cycle of Judges. There's something very different about this cycle that magnifies the grace of God. Such that if you have not been astonished yet, as we've worked our way through this history of God's grace on display, the grand finale will leave you overwhelmed at the way God lavishes His grace upon His people. See, what's different, what's amazing about this particular display of God's grace is that the Israelites do not ask for it. They do not ask for help. They don't cry out. What's missing is the supplication, the cry of God's people. There's no repentance here. In fact, there's not even a simple cry for relief from the misery. The Israelites give no indication of even wanting to be saved to be delivered. It's as, it's as if they've gotten used to the servitude. They are content with it. It's just the way life is. It reminds me of life in a Russian orphanage. Dr. Russell Moore, a professor at a seminary, went to, a rough, to an orphanage in Russia to adopt two young boys. And he says the first thing that he noticed about this orphanage in Russia was the silence. Though it was filled with babies, there was no crying. No babies crying to be held. No babies crying to be fed. No babies crying to be changed. 
They were content with the misery. And they had no sense of life outside the orphanage. No sense of the need for a family where they would be loved and nourished and cared for and cherished. No sense of the need for parents to provide for them and hold them and comfort them and teach them and nurture them. No sense of grandparents who would dote on them. And this is the picture of the Israelites and the picture of us content in our sin and our misery. No sense of the need to be rescued. No desire to turn from our sin. See, when you understand this, you will marvel at the grace of God. For what does he do when he has a people who refuse to forsake their idols, who have no desire to repent? Verse 5 tells us that he begins to work for their deliverance. He will be gracious to his people. One pastor defines grace in this way. Grace is doing good for someone when there is no compelling reason to do so and every reason not to. Grace is doing good for someone when there is no compelling reason to do so and every reason not to. And that is exactly what God does for the Israelites here. It's exactly what he does for us. There is nothing in the Israelites. There is nothing in us that would compel God to be gracious to us but there is every reason not to. There is continuous rebellion. There is lack of repentance. There is no desire for salvation. But the good news is, God's grace is greater than our sin. And we rejoice in the face of such amazing grace. We marvel. We are astonished. We are compelled to worship. For if God's grace were only given when we asked for it, when we prayed for it, when we saw our need and cried out, when we had sense enough to seek it, how poor and miserable would we be? We would be like the babies in the orphanage. But God lavishes his goodness on us when there is no compelling reason to do so and there is every reason not to. And so we see an amazing display of God's grace here. We see it in his raising up Samson to, to deliver his people And we see it in the sending of his own son to be our savior because Jesus too came before we repented. And this is good news for us because if God had waited until we repented, he would still be waiting. And we would still be living in our sin and loving it. God's grace is astonishing. He lavishes his goodness on us when there's no compelling reason to do so and every reason not to. This passage shows us the amazing grace of God, but it also shows us the glory of God. And we see this glory in the words and the appearance of the angel of the Lord, which we know to be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. But it took Manoah a little while to realize who this was. In fact, after the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah, Manoah asks him what his name is in verse 17. And in verse 18, the angel of the Lord replies, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Or it is wonderful. 
And the word means incomprehensible. He's saying that finite human beings do not have the ability to understand the depths of the riches of God's glory and his character and his name. God is separate from the ordinary. He is marvelous. He is remarkable. The angel of the Lord is saying, Manoah, you would not be able to take it all in even if I were to tell you. You know, Job understood this. He got it. In Job chapter 26, Job is proclaiming the unsearchable majesty of God throughout the chapter. And at the end of the chapter, the last verse, verse 14, Job says, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? We know but the outskirts of of his ways. It's like we live on the edge of the city and we catch just a glimpse of his glory, just a whisper. The full glory of God is too wonderful. It's beyond our understanding. The same word is used in Psalm 139 when David is speaking of the incredible knowledge that God has of us. And David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David is overwhelmed at this wonderful knowledge, this knowledge that is beyond his comprehension. He says, all my activities, all my thoughts, all my motives, all my unspoken words, God knows them. And David is overwhelmed. Now hold that thought for a moment. We'll come back to it in just a minute. But now then, we come to the New Testament. And Paul burst forth into spontaneous praise of his great God as he is reflecting on and proclaiming the plan of God's salvation and his mercy to the nation Israel in Romans chapter 11. And Paul bursts out, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Who has known the mind of the Lord is beyond our understanding. His glory is beyond comprehension. But oh, how he knows us. And then we come to 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul extols the virtue of love. And near the end of the chapter, verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. And they didn't have mirrors like we have today. They had flattened pieces of metal that gave a very vague and dim image. So they knew what he was saying. He said, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, 
even as I have been fully known, there is coming a day when we will see God in all of his glory and we will know the full extent of his glory. We will know him perfectly. Do you not desire to know Christ in this way as God even knows us? Jesus said in John chapter 17, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God. Well, one more place where this word is used, and perhaps you have seen this coming. Isaiah chapter 9. To us a son is born. To us a child is given. But not Samson. The one to whom Samson points. The one that this Old Old Testament nativity foreshadows. To us a son is born. To us a child is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, Wonderful, Beyond Comprehension, Marvelous. Well, about a month ago, we had the privilege of having Shylin come and do the first ever hip-hop concert here at Westminster. And if you missed that concert, you missed an incredible proclamation of the glory of God. And he opened his concert, if I remember correctly, he opened with these words. It was not a song, it was just a powerful proclamation of the glory of Christ, and I would like to share them with you. If he were here, I would ask him to do it, he's not, so I'll just share his words with you. A display of the glory of of our Savior. All praise to the name of the Savior who reigns. He's taken our blame, embraced all our shame. He's raised from the grave, so his fame we proclaim. Salvation by grace through faith in his name. Jesus, the beautiful and blessed Son, immutable, majestic one, who was resurrected from the grave. For the depraved, he paved the path of some. Place faith in his passion, son. Be saved from the wrath to come. He's fabulous. His status is immaculate. I'm lacking the vernacular to adequately capture his glory. Incomparable, unconquerable, all-powerful, unstoppable, absolutely phenomenal. No obstacle he can't navigate He's God, and so he fascinates. With him, it's impossible to exaggerate. Lord of all continents, source of all consciousness, his compliments are the consequence of his accomplishments. Every sphere of life, he's the Lord of it, and every other power is either fraudulent or subordinate. At first, we snubbed him. At first, we snubbed him. That's what the Israelites were doing. Snubbing the Lord of glory. That's what we do. We snub the Lord of glory. At first we snubbed him. Now his vessels of mercy love him. Incredible grace. We snubbed him. We were running away from him. And he came and pursued us and changed us. So now his vessels of mercy love him. 
Your highest thought is infinitely unworthy of him. Beyond vocabulary, his actions vary. His wrath is scary. All his adversaries are imaginary. He has no competitors. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar, he'll mess you up. Have you eaten grass? You can bet he's amazing. He takes in blatant, flagrant vagrants, breaks them, remakes them, and shapes them to hate sin. Did you catch all that? He takes in blatant, flagrant vagrants. That's Israel. That's us. Blatant, flagrant vagrants. And what does he do? He breaks them, remakes them, and shapes them to hate sin. Jesus. There's no better name that'll never change and he'll forever reign while we spread his fame. All praise to the name of the Savior who reigns. He's taken our blame, embraced all our shame. He's raised from the grave so his fame we proclaim. Salvation by grace through faith in his name. His glory is beyond comprehension. So incredible, so mind-boggling. And yet, this is just a glimpse, a whisper. We are on the outskirts of the city. And we can hardly see it. But one day we will be in the new city with a full glimpse, full view of the glory of God. God's amazing grace. God's incomprehensible glory. And finally, God's gracious plan of salvation. If you look at verse 23, Manoah's wife answers, If the Lord had meant to kill us. If the Lord had meant to kill us. And let me just interrupt here for a moment. If the Lord had meant to kill us. Let there be no mistake. Let it be perfectly clear in your mind. That you deserve to be killed. Every one of us deserves to be killed. God is just and right to punish Sinners, and you are a sinner, and I am a sinner. God's damnation, his eternal wrath is what we deserve, and it is what we would get if it was left up to us. Judges makes this crystal clear. There is no doubt. There can be no escape. Every time, every time the people are left on their own, they rebel, they wander, they reject, they disobey, they choose death. And God will allow them to suffer until they can bear it no more. And they will cry out and he will deliver. And they will do okay for a while. But then the judge will die and they will go back to even worse sin. But our gracious, glorious God knew all this. And before it all even happened, before we were even born, before the world was created, God planned to save us. And we see a hint of this And this Old Testament nativity story, there is nothing like it in the rest of the book of Judges. It it reads more like Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 1. You have a miraculous appearance to a barren woman announcing a miraculous birth to a son who would begin to save Israel. And then in Matthew 1, you have a miraculous appearance. Or Luke chapter 1, you have... And a miraculous appearance to a virgin woman announcing a miraculous birth of a Savior who will save his people 
from their sins. And it's all shouting out, God planned this. And judges, God, God is raising up a judge. He is raising up a savior. And it's not a quick fix. It's not like, like God is scrambling to fix something that went wrong. He is planning this life before Samson is even born. Even in the midst of his people's rebellion and sin, God is planning for their salvation. The very reason that Samson is going to be born is so that he can begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so Manoah's wife says, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. And the next verse is like the exclamation point. The proof, pounding home the truth that the Lord did not mean to kill them. It says, the woman gave birth to a boy. The barren woman. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. They did not die, but lived. And she gave birth, and Samson was born, and the Lord began to stir him. And the Lord did not mean to kill them, but to save them. And if the Lord had meant to kill us, there would be no New Testament nativity scene. There would be no Christmas. He would not have sent his son. The Virgin Mary would not have given birth to Jesus, our Savior. 1 John 4 says... And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his own Son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live. Now, last week, Dr. Light mentioned that the judges of Israel all brought an incomplete salvation. They could not finalize the salvation for their people. In fact, the judges, all of the leaders that God raised up in this book, They were all flawed. They were all sinful. They could not bring about a complete salvation because they would die and they would leave the people. Listen to this commentary from Judges chapter 2. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers following other gods and serving and worshiping them. These judges would begin the deliverance, but they could not bring life. You see, what we need is a judge, a savior who when he dies, he will rise again and live forever. We need an eternal savior. And that is exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. Listen to these amazing words from Hebrews chapter 7. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is alive. He lives forever. He always lives to make intercession for his people. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So what about you? Have you come to God 
through Jesus. If you have not, and if you persist in your rebellion, you will wind up like the Israelites in the book of Judges, pursuing false idols, false gods, and suffering for your sin. You will be under God's wrath. God is just. He is right to punish sin, but he is also merciful. He is kind to undeserving sinners. And God gives the free gift of salvation to those who repent and trust in Jesus. So the proper response for you today, now, here, is to repent and believe in Jesus. And if you do so, and if you have done so, by the amazing grace of God, then you will rejoice in your Savior. You will be astonished at his grace. You will worship in joyful awe at his glory and give thanks to him for his wonderful plan of salvation. And you will live to please him. See, the miracle of Christmas is that God does not mean to kill us, though that is what we deserve. Instead, he meant to kill his son, Jesus Christ, in our place to raise him up again so that we may live. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again, because Jesus Christ is alive, because he has laid death in his grave, one day the grave will be overwhelmed and we will rise. There will be a day. There will be a day Yes, Christmas was a great day, but there will be another great day. Perhaps even a greater day is coming when he will call my name. And he will call your name if you are his child. And he will come for you, beloved child of God, and you will see him face to face. The cycle will not last forever. We will be freed from it. No more sin. No more crying. No more pain. No more shame. No more suffering. No more glimpses of glory. But we will see clearly and fully and know fully. And we will worship together with people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And we will say hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And the angels will say, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Yes, he is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and bring that day. Amen. Our great God, we thank you. For your promise, we thank you for your grace. We could not live without it. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We long to see him. We long for all those we know and love to know him. May you pour out your grace upon us, even as you did upon the Israelites, that we would return to you with our whole heart, that we would know that you are the Lord God the only true God. We pray these things in the risen name 
of our glorious Lord and coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.